Welcome. It's good to see everybody here this morning. We are doing communion, so we are going to have the sermon now, and then we will uh, continue the worship um, after the sermon. I have not been up here for about a month and a half, so we'll still we'll see if I know how to uh, preach. See if this will come come uh, come back to us. But we're going to start a three week or four week series um, under God's grace. All of us um, are in our walk with our Christian life, and we're kind of at different levels. Some people come to church every week and are passionate about giving, are passionate about serving, are passionate about reading the Bible. They listen to the sermon. They hang on to the sermon during the week. They meet God in the morning reading their Bible. They pray consistently throughout the day. They're ministering to people in their work field. They're passionate about God. Some people come to church, you know, a couple times a month, maybe one time a month, and uh, they don't think about God during the week. Uh, They kind of come to church, just kind of show up and and uh, might hear something, but then leave, and it won't have any impact on their heart. They won't open up the Word. They don't pray during the week. They're almost at a different walk with God. Some people show up to church twice a year, and that would be during Easter, and that would also be during Christmas. Their walk with God is, oh yeah, I got to make sure I go to church, you know, so I'd be called a, a Christian. But we know that we're all in our different walks with God. Well, what motivates somebody to be passionate about God and somebody to not be passionate about God? What motivates somebody to pray and somebody not to pray? What motivates somebody to read the Word, somebody to think about God, somebody to contemplate what God has done for them, somebody to consistently serve, consistently give, somebody to look at heaven and say, someday I'm going to be there and I cannot wait to see God in the fullness of His glory? What motivates a person to go that direction. The motivation behind the Christian life is under one word. It's under grace. It's under God's grace. Grace is a word that drives your thinking. Grace is a word that drives your behavior. It drives your action. It completely drives your worldview. The way that you look at the world is the way that you view the word grace is a way that you hold on to the word, words, God's grace. Grace also carries an impact that makes a person, makes you fear or makes you not fear, it makes you uh, motivated or makes you not motivated, it makes you work or makes you not work, it makes you change or makes you not change, it makes it when you're addicted to sin, should I try to overcome it? What's going to drive you to overcome it? The one word that's going to drive you to overcome it is the word grace. Grace also builds a person, builds your character, builds your strength, builds your behavior. That one word carries the power to build you, or if you can ignore it, or if you don't understand it, it might not build you. And then that word grace is the word that saves you. We are saved by what? We're saved by grace. The reason why we're looking at this word for four weeks is because if it is a word that carries so much power, so much energy, so much drive, so much passion, and is a word that is so full, maybe we should uh, understand it. Maybe we should understand every aspect of the word and figure out how we can use a word to drive our life or not drive our life. How we can use the word to find salvation, or maybe we have ignored the word and we're not saved as a result. Last couple weeks, I went on a hike. I started uh, 
in uh, Oregon-Washington border, and I hiked half of Washington on the Pacific Crest Trail. And it's the first time I started walking on the Pacific Crest Trail, hiking the Pacific Crest Trail, and, and after I did it for two weeks, uh, I want to do the whole thing now. So I got a six-year plan to possibly get the whole 2,600 miles. But this first two weeks was a learning experience. In other words, what I mean by a learning experience is I need to figure out you know, how to do it and to do it right. Now, I hike a lot, but I always put everything in my backpack. And I uh, carry a very heavy backpack often, but I only go, you know, 40 miles, 50 miles, and then my hike is done, and I usually do it in a five-day period. Well, this was going to average 20 miles a day, and a heavy backpack is a wrong idea. And I didn't know that when I first started. In fact, I was thinking I was all tough. I could put all my self-contained items into the backpack, and I'll walk the whole 250 miles, and I won't be dependent on stopping anywhere, shopping anywhere. Well, that's not the way to do it. I did it wrong. Because when you have a heavy backpack and when you hike, um, your feet swell. And so the next thing I did wrong is my shoes were a little tight. Now, I got extra, extra wide, but extra, extra wide is not long enough when you have a heavy backpack with your feet swelling. Because once your feet swell and then they're done with the shoe, then they really don't like it and they start to swell more. And when they start to swell more, they start to blister and they really start to split. In the bottom of my foot, I have a big old crack. I'm walking, first time I had shoes on for the last week and a half. And uh, when they start to split and you're going 20 miles a day, you just keep on going. Third thing I did wrong is, you know, I read a little bit about it and I see the elite will walk 30 miles a day. The average will walk 18 miles a day. So I set the goal for 20 miles a day because I didn't, couldn't do the elite, but I also didn't want to do average. So I set 20 miles a day. In the last three days, I did 24 miles, 27 miles, 22 miles, and the last day, I died. <laughs> if you looked at me, I was limping, and people go, what's wrong with you? Are you all right? I did it wrong. And the reason I did it wrong is because I wasn't educated enough. I didn't understand enough. And I tell you, it wiped me out. So next time, I have all these lists of what I'm going to do to do it right. I've seen the right shoe. I know the right weight. I know the right mileage. I'm going to try it again next year to finish Washington. I'm going to do it right. The word grace is a word we just kind of throw around. But as we throw it around, do you know it? Do you understand its package? Do you understand the gift? Do you take the word and do you do it wrong? Well, let's look at that word, and as again, we're going to look at the word for four weeks. And as we look at the word for four weeks, we want to understand the whole concept of that word so we can look at it and say, I want to do this word right, and I want to know every single aspect of it. So number one in our notes, there are three dimensions of grace. Three dimensions of grace. Now, what does grace mean? Grace means an unmerited favor. An unmerited gift. You did not earn it. You did not deserve it. But that's what it is. It's an unmerited favor. Well, God has given us this unmerited favor, but God carries it the distance. God works with it in three different dimensions and brings power to this unmerited favor. He's not just going to give you an unmerited favor and then it's all done. He's going to carry it with three different dimensions. And holding on to the three different dimensions 
It is what is going to drive you, motivate you, and save you. So let's look at the three dimensions of grace. Number one, the first dimension is unconditional acceptance. That would mean unmerited favor. We are saved by nothing, nothing but grace. That's what we are saved by. An unconditional acceptance means you did not deserve heaven. You cannot earn heaven. Heaven is not yours. God is not yours. And there's nothing you can do to be able to get God to be pleased with you enough to say, God, will, I'll finally accept you. You cannot do that. There is no way you can get to heaven unless God intervenes, unless God gives you this grace, an unmerited favor that is given to us. Another way you can say it is that you deserve hell. I deserve hell. That is where I'm at as an individual. Since I have earned it, since I deserved it, since it should be merited to me, the only way I can get there is if God intervenes. Nobody else, because I can't do it. God must intervene if I'm going to have a relationship with him. Again, to say it again, you cannot get to heaven on your own merit. There is no good thing that I can do on this earth, not anything whatsoever that can, I can look at God and say, God, I've done it, therefore you should let me in. I have a, a picture that uh, shows uh, what grace is. There is 21 major religions in the world, and grace is written through the Bible, and grace is even said in some of these religions. But grace does not drive the religions. Or they have misinterpreted the word. Often they look at a religion looks like this. Heaven's above, and what I need to do is I need to achieve, I need to give, I need to serve, I need to do a penance, I need to fast, I need to sacrifice. There's something that I need to do to get there. Therefore, what I'll do is I will do what I need to do, and when I do what I need to do, I will get there. 21 major religions in the world actually 3,000 total, but 21 major religions in the world are pushing this. I'm walking to heaven, and I'm climbing there up a mountain, and one day I will receive it. Biblical grace looks like this. Heaven, we're not walking to heaven. Heaven literally came down on the next picture. Heaven literally came down came down with Christ, the only begotten Son, came to earth as a man and showed up on this planet and said, I will live a perfect life and I'll die the life that you should die. I'll live the life you should live and I'll die the life that you should die and I will raise again so you can live. But you see what takes place is grace comes to earth, heaven comes to earth, and it is right next to us and all we have to do is embrace it. God, thank you for being my salvation. Thank you for doing everything that I couldn't do. Thank you for giving everything that I could not give, an unmerited favor that I do not deserve, and it is right there. I'm not working my way to achieve heaven. I'm not working to accomplish heaven. I'm not working to impress God so he will let me into heaven. I'm embracing a Savior that will take me there the same Savior that came to earth and died in my stead. That is the difference between Christianity and every single religion in the world. The difference is they view the word grace differently. God has done all the work for us so we can have salvation. Romans three twenty three 
For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified freely by grace through the redemption that came through Jesus Christ. Freely. Why did we get it freely? Through redemption that came through the cross of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift from God, not by works, so that no one can boast. You see, after he mentions it is for grace that you are saved, that it starts to talk about works. Why? Because we get confused. Christians even get confused. That yes, you know, I'm saved by grace, but I have to do, I have to do, I have to do, I have to do. No, you're saved by grace, and there's no merit that can get you to heaven besides it. Romans 11, 5 through 6, again, we're going to talk about grace, and at the end, it's going to say it's not by works. So too, at the present time, there's a remnant chosen by grace, and it is by grace that it no longer works. If it were, grace would no longer be grace. Galatians 5, 4, you who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. How do you fall away from a free gift? How do you fall away from something that has been handed to you? The only way to fall away from a a free gift is to replace it. God, your death was not powerful enough for me. I need to be doing this, that, and the other to make sure that I get to heaven. You've done is you replace grace, and you put it on your shoulders to work your way up to salvation. The gospel message is that it cannot be done. When I was hiking, I had a lady that started walking behind me, and uh, of course we get in the conversation. Whenever we get in the conversation, I always like to veer it towards God, and uh, it's easy because all I have to do, she asked me, what do you do for a living? Oh, I'm a preacher. And uh, so we start talking automatically toward, about God and about religion, and she said, you know, I'm Hindu. Well, actually, kind of Hindu. And the reason why I'm not completely Hindu is because I cannot meet all the requirements to be Hindu. All the requirements to be Hindu. Well, what do you think I'm going to say to her? I'm going to say, well, I'm a Christian, and there is no requirements to meet. And the reason why there's no requirements to meet is because I am incapable of meeting the requirements. But I have a Savior who met the requirements and came to earth, died in my place, and saved me. And that is the reason why salvation can be mine. And do you know what she said to me? Well, I'm not interested in that religion. See, what happens is that grace is so free, but we just can't accept it. And the reason why people just don't want to accept it is because it's all about God, and it's not about us. Same reason Lucifer left heaven. It's got to be all about me. Grace is all about God and not all about us. And that is why people even reject Christianity, because we want it to be all about us rather than all about God. Grace is an unconditional acceptance that God has given to us, an unmerited favor. But that's not it. Remember, there's three dimensions. Let's move on to another dimension of grace. Grace is God's empowerment for growth and service. So I just read to you some passages that it's obvious that grace is an unconditional acceptance. But let's read some other passages about this word grace and see what Scripture is doing, see what God is doing as the authors are writing Scripture, as God is writing Scripture. 
Acts 4.33, with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. Now, when we look at grace as an unmerited favor, we look at it as one gift, and we say, well, it's the gift of salvation, and we are saved by grace. Well, God is using that word grace and extending it a lot further than just saved by grace. What he is doing is grace is not a one-time shot. You don't just get saved by grace, but grace is a word that is carrying with you for the rest of your life. It is a power that is working in you, causing growth and service. There's no accepting God, and then you're done, you're going to heaven. There is accepting God and accepting his power, accepting his strength, accepting his Holy Spirit, and always looking back at the day that you receive Christ and thinking, I am saved by this unmerited favor, and that unmerited favor is working in me. That unmerited favor is fueling inside of me. That, um, that unmerited favor is hot, bringing energy, bringing growth, bringing service, bringing motivation. Second Timothy 2.1, you then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. In the grace? What grace? The grace that you've received, but it's not done. When you receive grace, it's not over. When you receive grace, it is a power that you've received for the rest of your life. It is a power that is going to break sin when you need sin that is broken. It is a power that is going to love when you feel like you can't love. It is a power that is going to fight sin when you feel like you can't fight sin. Fight addictions when you say this addiction owns me and I cannot get rid of it and I'll never be able to do it. Grace is a power to forgive when you think it's completely impossible to forgive. Do you see how that power works? Is grace came at the cross, where Christ has done everything, and we get to consistently look back at the cross, not just take the cross, consistently look back at the cross and say, God forgave me when I didn't deserve it. And the power that Christ did at the cross is now a power that I have in me to forgive all those that do not deserve it who are around me. Gives me the power to give when I don't feel like giving. Gives me the power to be strong when I do not feel like being strong. Grace is being moved in a stronger, a second dimension of God. And the reason why is because it's not going to be just an unmerited favor that you receive once. It's an unmerited favor that, uh, favor that you receive. And then it is a favor that continues to work on you, to give you strength all the way through. 1 Corinthians 15.10 but, but by the grace of God... I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was within me. You see Paul, how he served, how he was driven, how he was passionate. He received this grace that saved him, but we see this grace that also changed him, moved him, motivated him. It was not something that he accepted. It was something that he accepted and then worked on him. 2 Corinthians 9, 8, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, 
so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. So we talked about grace is power. How do you define that? How do you draw a picture of that? How do you look at that? When grace is power is when you're doing something you cannot do. And you say, God, I give up. I step back. You do it. That's how come grace is power. It's not you accomplishing it. It's asking God's power to accomplish it instead. If you are incapable of doing it, you have embraced somebody that is capable of doing it, and that person that is, you have embraced that is capable of doing it is God. Therefore, are you using it? Have you grabbed a hold of that grace? Is that grace working in you? Grace has a third dimension. Again, we see God carrying this word grace to the extreme. Unconditional acceptance, empowerment for growth and service. But there's another dimension. God's cleansing work in you. When God saved you, he didn't just save you with an unmerited favor. Of course, he saved you and they gave you power. But when he saved you, he washed you. He cleansed you. See, when we have sin that is reigning inside of us, we have been washed from it. What does that mean, washed from it? Does that mean that I am perfect? No, what that means is that I died for your sins and my death is sufficient for your sins. You are washed and clean. Therefore, act like it. (laughs) Act like you're clean went on this hike, so I keep talking about this hike, but on this hike, I, uh, I had two pairs of shorts, I had two shirts, and I had two weeks. And if you start picturing that, it kind of looks pretty ugly. So I managed my two shirts um, this way. I hiked with one shirt, and I slept with the other shirt. And I made sure that the shirt that I slept with, I never hiked with. And the reason why is because when you hike, you sweat. When you sweat, you pour salt out of your body, so you try to eat more salt. So the shirt that I was hiking with starts to crystallize all over the place. In fact, I think I could take it off my torso and put it up, and it would still look like my torso. That's how crystallized it was. Not really, but it was disgusting. It was gross, and every day I put it on. And every night, I'm going, oh, I get this semi-clean shirt with that I've been sleeping with for two weeks, and I really liked it and put it on. But on the last day, I showered. (laughs) And boy, did it feel good. You guys might not think all showers feel good. That shower felt extremely good. There was something about being washed. Something about being clean happens when we receive Christ our Savior. We are washed We are clean, but we don't act clean. We don't live clean. We often take advantage of being clean to do what? Make ourselves even more dirty and find freedom in sin. Ephesians 1, 7 through 8. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the the riches of God's grace. See the cleanliness pieces of it? It is rich. It has been given to you. And what has been given to you? 
this grace has been lavished on you, completely washed, completely clean. I have received grace means that I have been forgiven for my past, for my present, and for my future sins. Therefore, I should think about that. Therefore, I should live that way. Some people don't live that way. Romans 6 talks about people who do not live that way. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so grace may increase? I have been washed clean. Therefore, since I've been washed clean by this unmerited favor, I can play in the dirt. That's what this verse is saying. And a person does not understand grace. Grace is you've been washed clean and you have the power to continue to try to stay away from dirty. Continue to stay away from the thing that is destroying you. Jude 1.4 says, For certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are godless men who changed the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our sovereign Lord. You see the dimensions of grace that when God says, I'm going to give you this unmerited favor, there needs to be two dimensions that come after it under God's grace. And that makes the fullness of grace, the fullness and completeness of grace. This last verse does not say grace in it, but it gives the three dimensions. 1 Corinthians 6.11, you were washed, made clean. You were sanctified. What is that? That is the power of grace. And you were justified. What is that? That is the unconditional acceptance of grace. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, by the Spirit of our God. You see the beauty of salvation? You see the beauty of grace? The theological terms that we're saying but not using is redemption, sanctification, and justification. Grace comes in that beautiful package. You ask you the question, why is it so important for us to look at grace in those three dimensions? Why is it so important for us to look at grace in those three dimensions? In closing, I'll just tell you why it's so important. Number two, there are three kinds of people in a church that don't understand grace. This word grace is thrown out there, and as this word grace is thrown out there, we chew on it, we taste it, and we kind of migrate in an area of our understanding of the word grace. And as we migrate in an area of our understanding of the word grace, it changes our behavior, it changes our motives, it changes who we are. Let's just prove it and look at it. The first person that comes to church, I'm talking about this is a kind of a general, and some of us migrate to this, is a legalist. The legalist. Um, a legalist is somebody who walks in church door and, and everybody is messed up but them. Walk in the church door and they think, ah, oh, these people are sinners and they can have the power. Now remember, this is wrong. This is not good. But they can have the power to look at somebody and say, yeah, that person's probably going to hell because that person's not living like he should. A legalist is somebody who looks at the law loves the law, obeys the law, and condemns everyone with the law. Maybe not even verbally, but condemns people in the law with their mind. They are people that walk in the door and everybody is, should be just as righteous as them. 
And unfortunately, they feel like not everybody is righteous as them. And if people could just get to that point, then they would understand the grace of God. There are also people that can point out to say this person will go to hell and this person will not because of the actions that people view. The Pharisees and the Sadducees were people like this. Extremely religious, loved the law, but they didn't have any understanding of grace, the word grace. And they were driven by the word grace, but they're driven in a wrong motive. So let me tell you how a legalist is made just by showing um, a little chart. Legalists are made by the word grace. Here's the three dimensions, an unconditional acceptance, an empowerment for growth and service, and a cleansing for sins. Legalists love the cleansing from sin. They're completely washed, and they hold on to that strong and dearly. They also love the empowerment for growth and service. And they are the ones that take the power for growth and service, and they are almost perfect in their mind. But they reject one dimension. They reject unconditional acceptance. And what do they do? These two drive this person into an attitude of legalism. Do you see how if you grab a hold of the word grace and you only take portions of its dimensions, it's going to make you. It's going to build you. It's going to drive you. It's going to control you. It's going to motivate you in a direction. Legalist is not the only person that comes to church. There's another person that comes to church. And that person is, we'll say, the lazy person is the one that does come to church maybe on Easter, maybe on Christmas. I'll just get enough of Christianity to just get me into the door of heaven. I don't really like to give. I don't really like to serve. I don't really like to love. And I'll only forgive the people that I really want to forgive. And if I don't want to forgive them, I'm not going to forgive them. I don't minister to anybody. I don't really care if anybody receives the gospel. I don't uh, read the word because ah, that's too big to understand anyway. And it's really not that relevant and, and important. I'm saved by grace, so I'm going to heaven anyway. No big deal. Don't need the word. Fighting sin. I don't mind my addictions. Uh, I don't need sin necessarily out of my life. Remember, I'm saved by grace. And if I'm saved by grace, that is okay. That's what the lazy person looks like. How does a lazy person get to that point? Believe it or not, it's the view of grace. Let's look at it again. Three dimensions. Three dimensions, unconditional acceptance, empowerment for growth and service, and the cleansing of sin. A lazy person loves the unconditional acceptance. In fact, they feed on the unconditional acceptance. I think Christmas and Easter is enough. I think one day going to church a week is uh, enough. They feed on the unconditional acceptance. Maybe I don't even need to go to church. Maybe all I need to do is just ask Jesus in my heart and everything's done. They love the cleansing of sin. If I do this, I get the cleansing of sin and everything is good. And if you hold on to those really too tightly and you define grace with those two, what's going to happen? It's going to produce a lazy person. That person does not understand grace. That person does not understand the beauty of grace living in you rather than just a grace to accept. They haven't embraced the whole dynamic of grace and it has molded them towards the direction of, I can be lazy and I can accept it. It's not the only person in church. The third person that goes to church is as believer, oh, is the one who has a license to sin. How is that person made? That person is made by defining the word grace in their mind. 
a going again on the three dimensions. Unconditional acceptance, person that has a license to sin is somebody who loves the unconditional acceptance, loves the empowerment. I am a powerful person, and it is good for me to give this, to do this. But what they do is they get rid of that cleansing piece. And if they get rid of the cleansing piece, what can they do? They can do whatever they want. I'm saved by grace. I work by grace. I'm happy by grace. Blankety blank, 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 you should be too. That's kind of migrating towards that area. So what takes place is that person doesn't understand grace. The person doesn't understand the whole dynamics and the package that God has given us. Therefore, here's the challenge. Number three, as believers, we must hold grace with the three dimensions in view. Again, we are going to dig deep into the three dimensions for the next three weeks. But you want to do is when you hear this word grace, you want to hold on to the unconditional acceptance. You want to hold on to the word that it's not something that I just receive with unconditional acceptance, but it's something that is a power that is working within me. And that power is generated from the unconditional acceptance. You also want to hold on to the word grace is that when I'm saved, what has taken place? There has been a washing. Therefore, I do not need to live in my sin, and I also need to keep that sin away so there's a cleanliness that takes place so I can continue to be alive with this beautiful word of grace. Live under the balance of the three dimensions, and you can live healthy, rich in character, strong, correct, and you walk with God, motivated, pushed, excited about who God is, what God has done, and what God continues to do, and what God has washed you with. Where do we get this amazing grace? We get it from one area. We get it from the cross. We get it from God, not people. It's not created by people. We get this grace from God leaving heaven and living a perfect life. Go into the cross and say, let me show you what grace looks like. You can't get to heaven, but I can get you there. Therefore, I'll pay the price that you should pay. And what does he do for us? He dies for the purpose of making us completely clean. And what happens? He raises again. Why did he raise again? Is because we don't worship a dead God. We worship a God who gave us grace and worship a God who is alive in grace and says you can have the same power that I had to lay my life down for others. Look at the grace you've received. Look at the cross and know it is yours for the taking and let that power motivate you, move you, strengthen you, and never forget what it's done for you and how it has washed you. We are taking communion this morning, and as we take communion, what is the bread? What is the juice that is on the table? The bread is God's body given to us to remember what? To remember the word grace. The juice is God's blood that is spilled out for us. And when Jesus gave it to the disciples in the upper room, he said the words, take it, drink it, and every time you do, remember me. What we're going to do right now is we're going to do communion. And my challenge for you for communion is to walk up here to the table knowing that the bread is broken for you, knowing that the blood is spilt for you, and understand the package of the three dimensions of 
of that process. Have it in your mind when you eat the bread and drink the cup that you have received this grace, you have this grace, and you've been washed by this grace. There are tables um, um, up here, and there's also tables in the back. Worship team is going to come forward, and as they sing, I want you just to encourage you to take your time, come forward, take communion. You can come forward or you can go to the back um, as well, but I encourage you to take it. God, we just thank you for your amazing grace. There's no way that we can have heaven, God, without it. There's no way that we can have power without it. There's no way we can be clean without it. God, you have done it all, and I just pray, God, that that is the thing that drives our life. Not that we can do it, but that you have done it all. Therefore, God, I just pray that as we come to the table today that it will be on the forefront of our minds what the sacrifice you have done for us. God, we praise you and worship you for doing it. You did not have to do it, but you did it. We praise you and worship you for that act, for that washing, for that cleansing, for that power. Thank you, God. In Christ's name, amen.